Welcome to the SureDog Radio Network live recap for UFC on ABC5, Emmett versus Taporia, also known as UFC Jacksonville. Don't adjust your screens. It is not the Sheldon Duffy show tonight. It is instead the Duffy and Duffy show tonight as uh, the junior Duffy, Mr. Adam right here, is physically in town. So despite that orange line between the two of us, we are in fact in the same room as we'll demonstrate. Adam. So uh, UFC Jacksonville. We just finished the main event. Josh Emmett, Ilya Tapuria. Tapuria came in heavily favored. Keith and I both picked Tapuria by finish. Uh, I picked Tapuria by finish in the middle rounds. I felt pretty good about my pick there for a while, but he does make it to decision. And we have some outlandishly lopsided scorecards. Mm -hmm. So uh, official scorecards are 49-45 in favor of Tapuria, a 50-44 in favor of Tapuria, and a 50-42 for the German-born Georgian by way of Spain. If you're listening right now, first of all, thanks for joining us. We always have fun with these. This is going to be a bit of a matinee as it is 5 p.m. here in the Central Time Zone. Let us know what you scored this fight. Uh, myself, I scored at 49-45. I gave the first round to Emmett, just, you know, Taporia didn't throw a single yeah. strike for the first two minutes. I thought he got slightly the better of things once he did open up, but neither of them really hurt the other. Mm -hmm. uh, so, yeah, that, that looks like an Emmett round to me. I did give a 10-8 round. I guess that would have been round four. Yeah. So I got 49-45. If you gave Taporia round one, then you're looking at that 50-44, same as one of the official judges. Yeah. The 50-42 is the one we're going to be talking about for a while. Adam, did you score this live as we were watching it? Yes, I did. I said, and I, I essentially agree with you in the sense that the only round that was you know pretty competitive, I, I would say, is um the first round. You know, um, neither fighter really uh, did a lot of damage to, to each other, but but Emma was the far busier one as as Taporia sort of um got as much data as he could in that round it seemed just sort of um weathered the storm initially and then um sort of got got his timing on uh to pour on the, on the on the later rounds and then every round i scored you know anywhere from 10 9 to 10 8 but i'm looking right now at mma decisions and i'm looking at chris lee's scorecard who was the one who scored 50 42 and i see that he gave a 10 7 in the fourth round which um that's not something you see often a 10 7. no it's, it's, something, <laughs> it's something you shouldn't see very often yeah uh, Again, I feel like I'm a broken record saying this, and I, I swear I'm not trying to cloud chase, but about a year ago, last July, I went ahead and took the Association of Boxing Commission's referee and judge training course. You know, I went, uh, took the road trip, took the actual course that aspiring and actually certified refs and judges take, you know, alongside some, uh, some well-known judges. And one of the things we talked about was 10-9 versus 10-8 rounds, and the basic guideline is that 10-8 rounds should be the most lopsided 5% of rounds. Like mm -hmm. one round in 20, whichever is the most you know, lopsided, should be a 10-8 round. And yeah. obviously, they're not saying, okay, every 20, every 20 <laughs> rounds that you score, you have to give a 10-8. But just in general, if you're looking at your scores over the On course average. of a month or a year, it should average out to about the worst 5%. If it's not that much, then you need to give out 10-8s mm -hmm. more liberally. If, mm -hmm. if it's more than that, then you need to tighten it up. And he's someone asked, well, what about 10 sevens? He's like, mm -hmm. and it was uh, Kevin McDonald uh, teaching our course. And he just said, 
Ah, you probably shouldn't. If it was a 10-7 round, it probably should have been stopped. Yeah, I, I've heard in the past before that that 10-8s and, and to an extent 10-7s are almost the the judge's way of of sort of um, rectifying what they thought should happen in the in in the octagon. You know, they if they think the referee should have stopped it, they're going to sort of correct on the back end by giving it such a huge point advantage to the to the to the the winning fighter. And I mean. <sighs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was definitely a 10-8 round, I, I believe. I mean, towards the end there, Emmett was looking, you know, really, really terrible. But I just still don't know exactly what criteria left him to left Chris Lee to think 10-7 was the correct um, scoring. I mean, I, I try not to go in hard on the judges. They have a thankless job, a literally thankless job. Yeah. When they do the right, they do it right. Nobody remembers their names. Nobody thanks them. And whenever any of them screw up, the all the you know the the shame laser just kind of homes in on them yeah having said that chris lee really has become a menace in the last year or two he's he's one of the ufc's regulars he's one mm -hmm. that is on the road when the ufc is you know outside of its usual las vegas stopping grounds he goes overseas with the ufc and kind of like sal diamato was for years i i don't understand why he's the guy that they cho choose to bring with them yeah because he will give out outlandishly bad scorecards that even if he has quirky or idiosyncratic internal scoring criteria, he should just know aren't normal. Yeah. Like you should be able to ask Chris Lee, dude, you've been doing this for over a decade. You've done thousands of rounds. How many 10 sevens have you seen? Like it, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, in your memory, you know, as, as watching fights for as long as you have, have you ever seen a 10 sevens round score in the UFC? Um, that was like only in like the, the 2000 aughts, <laughs> like but, well, before they started giving out more guidelines because you yeah. know, we've had guidelines in the past 10 years. Okay. Let's do fewer 10, eight rounds. Let's do more 10, eight rounds. But I remember mm -hmm. things like Tito Ortiz just beating the shit out of Elvis Sinisek in 2003 or whatever it was. And there were some 10, seven rounds and they were well-deserved. Yeah at least by the standards of the time and that fight maybe could have, should have been stopped. <laughs> uh, but no, like I haven't seen any, the last round I could consider, you know, giving a 10, seven, two would have been mm -hmm. the first round of Shane Carwin versus Brock Lesnar. But that, that, that fight should have been stopped like three times that round. Yeah. So yeah, that was a 10, seven. Cause yeah. Yeah. So, so I guess considering that, you know, if Chris Lee is making this decision that he thinks that, I mean, to an extent in the in the 10 8 round he scored but also to a greater extent in the 10 7 score uh, round he scored he thinks that that should have been stopped at some point in in the fourth round right. at least at least in the aggregate and that's, that's not his job it's like not. like don't i mean i don't mean to bring a politically charged <laughs> word into here but don't be an activist judge you're not <laughs> yeah. the ref just yeah. score the score the fucking round do, but do you think that there was ever a, a time where it could have been stopped for for to for, for Emmett and and where it could have been could have gotten a TKO and well that's the other problem because it was such a methodical accumulation of damage, there mm -hmm. weren't any real big. Yeah, it was oh, just. It's, you know, yeah, it's no, over. Like a jumpy ref could jump in and right. pull him off. There's no like if if Joe Rogan had been on the stick tonight. There's no <laughs> moment, it was, oh, <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's almost over. It, it was just. It was a beatdown. It was a beatdown. It will certainly end up on Sherdog's list of candidates for beatdown of the year for 2023, but relatively few pivotal moments yeah, yeah. it was just like it was just like they threw emmett into like a barrel full of rusty nails and rolled him downhill and the barrel started going faster and faster but there was never a moment where it like hit a tree and pieces of emmett went flying everywhere it was just a methodical predictable and frankly kind of sad 
mauling. It was yeah. It was a mauling. Uh, yeah. Anything surprise you out of this? Um, su- surprising. No, not necessarily. I think you know, the biggest thing here with with Tapuri getting put in his first main event against a top five opponent was about answering questions related to Tapuria that we'd had up until this point. You know, he'd beaten, you know, some really good guys in really impressive fashion, like the Bryce Mitchells and, you know, before that, the the Jai Herberts and and and, and Ryan Hall. But, um, you know, this was about seeing, like, well, how does he look in the last two rounds of a five-round fight? How does he look against someone as, as powerful and as, um, as solid as Emmett, um, even though he might be, you know, kind of um, get up there in years? And... I think that, and I think we 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 might have mentioned this a little bit while we were watching the fight, but in the first three rounds, it seemed like Tapuria was was cool, like cool as a cucumber. He was he, even though he was had just had been putting it on Emmett, Emmett had really been sort of desperately trying to take his head off. Um, he was he was composed the entire time, and going into that those last two rounds, it was interesting to see you know how he would get out of like you know gear and see if if he would really pick it up. Um, the entire time though, he stayed you know composed. He stayed like like grounded to himself and he just picked apart Emmett. Um, you know, we were talking, I think in the fourth or third round, how after rocking Emmett and he's on his way up, he starts hammering at his like body uh, with body shots. And then it, when he stands up, when Emmett's you know waiting for either a body shot or um, something up top to come in, he just kicks him in his leg as hard as he can. Um, like the mixing it up of like delivering pain to the leg, the body and the head, and then just like repeating um, it, it never let Emmett get comfortable. It, 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 it was, and that's part of like the sort of sad beatdown we were talking about, where it just seems like he was in pain the entire time. Emmett's right, uh, the left side of Emmett's face was looking like <laughs> very gnarly towards the end of that fight, yeah. um, from all all the damage that uh, Tapria was giving on his right. But no, uh, nothing really surprised me. Yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say might have surprised me is how little effort there was by either guy to bring the fight to the ground. Because mm. I would have thought that each guy secretly thought that he had an advantage there. Yeah. And no, just nobody ever ever went there until pretty pretty late on. Uh, yeah. You pointed out that Tapuria was extremely composed, and Emmett was almost the opposite. Like he wasn't out there just spazzing out, but overswinging on everything. Like overswinging so hard that he kept slipping, yeah. and was so far out over his lead leg that well, one he was off balance. Those those haymakers overwhelmingly did not land, mm-hmm. but also that front plant foot with all of his weight and then some on it yeah. was getting hacked at. You, I mean, you can't check a kick if you if all of your weight is jammed onto that foot and you're out here uh, swinging your overhand. Yeah, it was. In and this is oversimplifying, and it shortchanges Emmett to say this, but it felt like a 2006 wrestle boxer fighting a 2023 wrestle boxer because both guys broadly speaking have a lot of the same skills they're both short compact guys with excellent offensive wrestling and you know really really good one shot power but Emmett had the josh koscheck early tyron woodley thing where he's just super heavy on his front foot swinging real hard on everything and sometimes we'll forget to do the level change feints and the actual takedown attempts that open that up for them. Yep. Yeah. Whereas Tapuri just everything buttoned down, you know, weight over his feet, yep. never overextending. And I mean, he didn't use his offensive uh, wrestling very much, but just could have at any moment, mm-hmm. like just much, much more poise. Yeah. You know, yeah. He didn't use it until the very end, which, which seemed like a thing of, you know, it's in the fifth round, you know, let's stay um, on top of things while uh, Josh Emmett, you know, Josh Emmett's going to do everything he can to, to steal it away from you. And um, he got him to the ground pretty easily. And so it's interesting to think about if he had, 
gone to that earlier if that would have you know even been another aspect where Tapuria would have maybe dominated uh in that fight was is on, is on the ground and um like uh, you were just saying about the um uh damn i i, I, I was just about to mention about um it was Tapuria and emmett with yeah with emmett's like composure uh, on the feet and his like overswinging stuff like that you know Taporia had a very like methodical cycle when it came to being on the feet he he used his jab to you know just keep like the the range and keep the distance he was and, constantly and strip half the skin off of the face. <laughs> exactly i could just feel like underneath that eye how every time the glove slipped past it would just it would off that off the left side of his face it would just cause more and more damage and then you know every time emmett would come in with that like plan on his lead foot overhand right to where he would slip it going with like a left or a right and would just hop back on his jab it was and, and Tapuria's jab was a revelation for me in this fight i mean i i've always thought he was a solid boxer with all the tools mm -hmm. but and this is a a cliche i've brought up a few times before there are people in mma for whom the jab is a tool it's mm -hmm. a tool for finding rhythm disrupting rhythm finding range and then there are fighters for whom the jab is a weapon it, yeah it cuts people it stops them in their tracks. It can knock them down at the yeah. right moment. The, like the, an Usman. Kamaru Usman is a prime example. Rob Font is a great example. Yeah. Max Holloway is a great example. But all the all the guys that are like that are people who are long and rangy, even if they're not the tallest. Like Usman isn't the tallest welterweight, mm -hmm. but just has ridiculously long reach. And then, of course, people like Holloway and Font are yeah. tall. This was some of the best short man jabbing I've, I've seen. And Part of that may just be the natural progression of Taporia's skills. Mm -hmm. He's still in his mid-20s. Part of it may be him specifically preparing a game plan for one of the few times he's going to fight a fighter who's shorter and fights shorter than yeah. him. But brilliant work with the jab tonight. Yeah. Just nasty stuff. Uh, Emmett, even as a, a hardened fan of this sport, was a little hard to look at by the end of the fight. Just that whole left side of his face, the ear, like obviously yeah. having a hematoma inside where the cauliflower yeah. ear had filled with blood. Uh, the hanging like skin from the oh yeah I I don't know if anybody who's watching has watched the new show House of the Dragon but you'll know <laughs> you'll know that the king at the end the left side of his face just like rots away and I feel like that's just like like what Emmett Emmett would have progressed to if that fight had kept going just one side of his face completely just hollowed in. I mean, if this is a seven round fight, the cut man <laughs> is just dumping a bucket of molten gold over the head before the final round. <laughs> like this will get you going. Cut man Tate is just rubbing. Ooh. Oh my god, it was it was no, it was it was really crazy. And you know, with that jab and being able and sort of utilizing that against a, a an opponent who's a, you know got similar dimensions to him, which he hasn't had in a while. Um, you know, he's fought a lot of guys who um, you know, when he fought Jai Herbert at lightweight, you know, Jai was um, um that's how I say his name, right? Uh, just, Jay, yeah, okay, just making sure. Um. A lot longer than him, you know, just a lot uh, had, had the distance and that caused a lot of problems. Which I was interested to see because, you know, in that fight, Herbert hit him, uh, hit him pretty cleanly. I think with a, um, I think a head kick, um, which which kind of caused some to issues with Tapuri, and he was obviously losing up until the, um, up until the knockout. And so I was interested to see with uh, a power puncher like Emmett, if you know how he'd be able to to stand him against that. But it it bodes well for Tapuri, seeing as how above him in the rankings at this point. There are, I mean, you know, besides like the maybe the Max Holloways and the Yairs, you know, who are sort of longer and, and a little rangier, um, you know, people like Allen, people like Volk are, you know, similar to closer to his size, especially like the Volk fight um, or the Volk matchup. It's a very interesting one, and at least in terms of his ability to get that jab off on a, a similarly sized guy. Yeah, I mean, he's going to, he's going to be a, at least a little smaller than most of the contenders from here on up, but they're 
Volkanovsky is built almost exactly like Emmett. Yeah. Uh, Movsar Evloyev is probably smaller than mm. Teporia in every dimension because he's not as thickly built either. Yeah. So if he's developing a set of skills that are going to allow him to fight to his best advantage against opponents with several different body types, that's going to be uh, that's going to be a smart move for him. Uh, just yeah. real quick, we've been here for about 15, 20 minutes. If you've checked in since we started, thanks for checking us out. This is usually the Shillin' and Duffy <laughs> live recap. Tonight is the Duffy and Duffy live recap. I am Sure Dog Senior Editor Ben Duffy. I am usually accompanied by Keith Schillen, the executive producer of the Sure Dog Radio Network. He is on vacation this week. Uh, and speaking of vacation, in town for vacation <laughs> is Adam Duffy, the editor-in-chief of the Georgia State University Sentinel and MMA fan and occasional fill-in on these shows. So I just had him hang out and talk about these fights with us. I see we have a bunch of our usuals in the chat. Uh, Dev, newest member of the Sure Dog Radio Network. The artist formerly known as RC Kim, now RM Kim. Uh, Moneyliner, always good to have you uh, hang out with us. Uh, John Butterfield was here briefly. John Butterfield, you're in the UK. If we're doing an early mm. card like this, it's out of consideration for you. So, like, be here. Be present with us. Uh, yeah. I saw West Coast, and West Coast brought up something I wanted to move on to next. Here he is. He, I assume he means to pour you here, still has <laughs> no chance against Volk, give him one more fight, Ortega. There's a lot to unpack here in yeah. 12 words. Yeah. I don't know if he has no chance against Volk. I mean, obviously, everybody has a chance. I will say he doesn't have a great chance against Volk, but that's just because if you tell me that Alexander Volkanovsky is the best fighter on the planet right now, I might not agree with you, but I'd understand and I wouldn't laugh at you. Like, nobody has much of a chance against him. Uh, give him one more fight. That's the real question. Mm -hmm. What are you doing with Ilya Teporia off the most impressive win of his career? You know, I think that... In, in a division that that Volkanovski's obviously really um, dominated over, and he's had all these fights with Max that have you know sort of put him in in a similar position to like Brandon Moreno or um, or, or Adesanya, just like you know just you you're really starving for parity there, like new challenges, new up new opportunities, which is why yeah, Yair Rodriguez is such an interesting prospect, it's such an interesting fight, is because you know it's the first person he's fought that's not Max Holloway or sort of a um, very outmatched TKZ. Um, and so that, that 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 makes it very interesting. Um, and I know that's definitely there with Tapuria, an undefeated, um, just put on a great fight against um Josh Emmett. But I wouldn't I wouldn't personally be hasty to put him in a title shot, put him against the winner of um Rodriguez versus Volkanovsky. I think that Oh, good thing John Butterfield's still here. You know, we're only getting one. We only get like one of these like UK or like European timed cards per year. So um, you got to appreciate it while you can. But uh, like I was saying, I don't think I'd put him in there against the winner of Yair versus Volk. I think that he would be great to match up against someone else in the top five. And, and my biggest thing, and I see a few people in the chat is putting it down. I think him versus Allen would be a great fight. Arnold Allen versus Ilya Teporia is a. I mean, dude. The two, maybe like two of the most well-rounded guys two below of the most Volk. Well-rounded guys, Ilya really all the skills and all the physical tools except i mean you wouldn't mind him being a little bigger yeah. for that division but yeah. aside from that an incredible athlete alan not the most gifted athlete but incredibly well-rounded and one of the smartest and best coach fighters in the game yeah i love that fight Ilya versus alan if anybody else likes that one uh let us know mm -hmm. dev mr devin tahada says keep Ilya away from max 
I mean, keep Max away from everybody in the, in the I, top five at, at, I, at, at featherweight. I like it. I, I mean, <laughs> if he would approach it differently, you you, mm-hmm. you take a different approach for Max Holloway than you do for Josh Emmett. But if he tried that, if he goes out and jabs up Max Holloway for five rounds, <laughs> I will have learned uh, some things. <laughs> the only way people have won striking battles with Max Holloway have either been with a heavy investment in leg kicks mm-hmm. like Alexander Volkanovsky mixed with threats of the takedown or just with superior power like Dustin Poirier. When, yeah. yeah. Aside from that, nobody, nobody's successfully stood and boxed with him. No. And the results have usually been ugly. Yeah. He's made, like, he made Calvin Cater look like hamburger. Yeah. And Calvin Cater is one of the best boxers in that division. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'd love to see it. Uh, John Butterfield brings up the pragmatic point. I wouldn't be eliminating contenders at this point. Uh, This is what I wanted to get around Mm -hmm, to. mm -hmm. Even if you believe he has no chance against Volkanovsky, it isn't the UFC's matchmaker's job to breed a fighter in a lab to beat the champ. (laughs) It is just to keep a steady stream of plausibly deserving challengers uh, going. Like, yeah. I, I don't I don't really think it's about trying to find who can beat the champ. Like there are some dominant champs and for a long time maybe nobody, nobody beats them. Mm-hmm. You know, like sometimes Lauren Murphy is the next best thing you've got up for Valentina Shevchenko. Yep. It's not about <laughs> what kind of chance she had. It's Lauren Murphy has earned this and Valentina Shevchenko at the very least has earned the right to defend her title when, when she wants she to wants against someone who's on some kind of win streak mm-hmm. in, in the division. So when it's time yeah. for Taporia, it's time. I would say there's no need to rush him because he's young, because he's taking relatively little damage in most of his fights. Like he got hit cleanly a couple times against mm-hmm. uh, Herbert. Yeah, for sure. You know, he, for I mean, sure. He, got, he got cleanly knocked down twice. He was losing the fight, but to mention a fight again, it wasn't a Holloway cater thing no. where, Complete Before out he had taken 230 shots <laughs> to the head. So there's no need to rush it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, th- I think personally for me, the like the biggest thing is that, you know, and this sort of this is one thing that undercuts the, the Rodriguez versus Volk matchup is 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 the fact that uh, you know, in a pretty competitive fight, pretty close fight, Max still beat Yaya Rodriguez pretty, pretty, pretty well. And and so, you know, when you're mashing up a Rodriguez versus a Volk, it always comes in your mind with that thought that, well, like he's still underneath Max Holloway, who is underneath Volk, who which which undermines like the 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 uh, some of the excitement around that matchup because you just think in a one to one scenario that Volk should be a level above Rodriguez. And I think that I'm sort of manifesting this hope that after Volk, uh, after Max Holloway fights the Korean zombie in Singapore that, you know, he makes like a shift in his career, you know, moving up to, to 155. Um, and I'm sort of manifesting that by, by trying to remove him from the equation in my own head and, and just looking at those at the top five with like our new sort of, uh, our, with our new top five of Rodriguez, um, Allen and Taporia now, you know, it, it interests me to see Taporia who I think, you know, he looked, I think he's only, he's still getting better, uh, like both like in his like physical prime. He's, I think he's still getting better from fight to fight. And I think a matchup of him versus, um, somebody else in the top five, really, I mean, it, it could be anyone who, who is, will be sticking around the division. Um, I think that will sort of, you know, liven up that, that title picture. What do you do with Emmett? Uh, I'm kind of, I'm in the sure dog editorial slack just because if something comes up, comes up like Emmett, 
announces he's <laughs> yeah, retiring or yeah. announces he's moving up to 155 or something, they'll talk about it right away. I don't see any of that. So if you have to match Josh Emmett as soon as his face is better, I'd say six <laughs> months from now in the featherweight division, what are you doing with him? You know, I think that I, I'm also, I mean, I think it, it would have been a good one to go out on this fight. You know, it was very exciting um, while he lost and lost, you know, pretty, you know, badly. He, he still put up, it was until the very end, he was putting up a hell of a fight. And, and, and so, while I don't think it, apparently he might not uh, retire tonight, um, I, I think he's only on his last, you know, one or two fights. You know, he's 38 years old. Um, he's he's been fighting in that division for a long time. That weight cut is is miserable as we've seen in the past for him. Looks like a goblin when he gets all like sucked in and stuff like that. I think <laughs> I think you give him somebody you're trying to um, give a bounce back for uh, to to sort of play off of that. I I think you give him. Brian Ortega on his on his comeback because I think that's a good matchup for Ortega. I think that you know Emmett is 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 on his way out, and I think if you're trying to make Brian Ortega sort of a live, um, uh, you know, thing again in that division, I think I think you give him sort of a a, a, a slight a, a little bit of a toss up in 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 Emmett. What do you like? Would you object if they gave him someone like Bryce Mitchell? Interesting. Uh, no, wouldn't at all. Wouldn't at all. I mean, like I said, like same thing. It's like you know, that's a prospect you're trying to get off the ground um, because of, of how how much people like him. And so, um, you know, giving him a name like Emmett um, in a fight like Emmett is not a bad idea. Uh, there's a lot of love for Emmett going on in the chat right here. Yeah, I could not agree more. Emmett knew going into that fifth round that he needed something huge in order to win. Yeah, and what's he do? <laughs> he doesn't go out and try to taunt to bring into doing something stupid. He just goes out, does his best to get within range, and throws his hardest punch yep. as many times as he can before time runs out or he gets taken down. Think of how many fighters, when they are losing a fight and they know they're losing a fight, go in the direction of salvaging their own ego mm -hmm. rather than trying to win the fight at any cost. Like, yeah. Think of. We saw that just a few weeks ago yeah. on the undercard of. Um... I forget who it was, but it was an undefeated guy like in the third round on yeah. his way down. Yeah, exactly. I, I forget his name, too. Uh -huh. uh, but we've seen it out of even well-known fighters. We've seen it out of your – I mean, it's a classic Diaz brother thing. <laughs> yes. Like, I'm the third or fifth round of a fight. I, I can't win. I start, like, laying on the ground like this. Putting or, a middle finger. middle fingers up. I mean, we've seen Jorge Basvidal do it. Yeah. We've seen Bobby Green do it. Yeah. Uh, very much in fitting with – Emmett's kind of low-key hard hat <laughs> personality that, that he's like, okay, I need a knockout. I'm going to go try to get a knockout. Yeah. yeah. You know, uh, so good stuff. Uh, RM Kim. Mm. I didn't think about it much tonight and maybe should have, but I am all about any corner that cares enough about their fighter to mm -hmm. throw the towel. Like what more did we learn out of those last two rounds other than, okay, yeah, Tapori has enough gas to keep going in a fight where <laughs> yeah. it's all one-way traffic. Yeah, Marcus Mustard. Ten points for Marcus Mustard. Blake Builder is the name that we were trying to think of. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah I got you. Yeah, got you. Blake Builder. I mean, considering that I know how Builder reacts when he's winning, <laughs> we could have we could have guessed. But yeah, yeah no, Blake Builder. Uh Good one, Marcus Mustard. Mm -hmm. Any other thoughts about this one before we move on to the rest of the card? Uh, no. I mean, great main event. You know, we were always that it was it was this whole card was was pretty main event uh, top heavy, and so um, it definitely delivered. Great fight. Yeah. Uh, second from the top, 
was a women's flyweight matchup between Macy Barber and Amanda Hibas. Pretty high stakes there. That's mm -hmm. a wide open enough division that almost any woman is you know, at most four wins away from yeah. a, a title shot. This was a revelation, man. I had Hibas in this one. I had her pretty comfortably. And it's not just that Barber won. It is that that's about as good as I've seen her look, considering mm -hmm. when she won, how she won, and against whom. Probably her best performance. Because uh, yeah. it had enough of the things that reminded me of why she seemed special on the way up. Just the savagery and the killer instinct. Mm -hmm. Like, she has some of the meanest ground and pound of any woman mm -hmm. in, in MMA. And then just looks like a much better striker. It was a reminder that the woman is still just 25 years old. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> All right. John Butterfield asks a thought-provoking question. Was this the best non-title fight in recent women's history? Really enjoyed it. I am up there with you. I can only hope that the upcoming Rose Namajunas Manon Fior fight uh, lives up to it. Yeah. And RM Kim just killing me with Macy, the, the, the suture barber. Yeah. He's also the one that called uh, Dominic the denominator Cruz <laughs> for getting some basic math wrong last week. So RM Kim, what I mean, I really do consider him my unpaid intern. Yeah. Just Comes in here just to, just to liven up the chat a little bit. That's a really uh, good one. No, because Barber's problem was from the time she was 19 and coming up in uh, LFA and then Invicta until about two years ago, she didn't get any better. Like mm -hmm. she was still the same mm -hmm. uh, aggressive, hard hitting ground and pounder with kind of rudimentary striking. Yeah. And just none of it seemed to be getting better despite moving camps, uh, despite, you know, all, all the opportunities she had, but here she just legitimately looked like a better striker. And I said on the preview, this is kind of the card of prospects or at least UFC fighters that I had written off prematurely. <laughs> and I, even though I picked her to lose, I said, she's a perfect example. Someone that it was easy to laugh her off a couple of years yeah. ago when she lost two in a row because she called herself the future the youngest champ youngest. Yeah. The whole thing. I'm going to be the youngest champ. She had crazy eyes. Uh, it was, it was Still. easy to say, Oh, well, hype train derailed. Yeah. But now she's 13 and two. She's on a five fight win streak. Yeah, tied for tied for the most in the division. Tied for the most in the division. After Valentina's and it's lost. Against logically progressing competition, ending in someone in Hibas who's a very good fighter and a top ten talent. Uh yeah. Any like any general thoughts about the fight before we talk about what's next for her? Yeah, you know, I think that um Macy Barber, Macy Barber's journey has been interesting. You know, to me, it looks like a plane that takes off from a runway, its engine stalls, and right before it smashes into the into the pavement, she picks it up just barely. Um, and I, I think it's been good for her, I think, losing that that Modafferi and then that Grosso fight. You know, I think that, you know, maybe if she hadn't gotten injured, she would have beat Modafferi. And then being so young, being um undefeated, she might have gotten, you know, shot up even harder and then uh, I think at that point, you know, probably would have lost an even worse thing. And so in terms of like losses that help a fighter, a young fighter get better, I think the way it's happened and the way it's 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 going shows that it was good for her. Um, I think she looked really great against um, Hibas. I was I was I was rooting for my girl Hibas there. But um, no, Barbara looked good. And um, yeah, there's a lot of interesting matchups there for at 125 for her. What do you? What would you do with uh, Macy Barber next? Uh, I think just uh, it, talking about this like logical progression of, of competition. You know, I definitely think that um, you can start looking for sort of the upper 
top 10, um, you know, that, that, that sort of six to 10 range. Um, you know, I think, you know, somebody who's, who's on a win streak also, and is right next to her in the rankings is, is Jennifer Maya. Mm -hmm. Um, definitely a possibility. Um, besides that, maybe, I mean, Kaylin Shukagan is, it has, is sort of on a downturn, um, as these new 125ers that come up. And so maybe that'd be a good sort of benchmark to see, um, if she can hang with, um, the other 125ers who have shown that they can beat Shukagan like that, you know, man on Fioro and, and stuff like that. All right. I mean, as long as they give me enough advance notice that I can ask for that week off. <laughs> I'm not I'm, saying they'd be, they'd be entertaining. No, I like the Maya fight. There's also a possibility that she could end up closer to the title picture right now than we think, because there are a lot of moving parts. Yeah. We're going to have uh, Shevchenko Grasso two coming up. Mm -hmm. If Shevchenko wins, then everyone else is in a holding pattern because they're going to do an immediate. Yes. Match. Yes. If Grasso wins again, then all of a sudden, the Aaron Blanchfield Tyler Santos fight yep. is a possible title eliminator, and everyone slides up one. Like maybe they just tell Barber, okay, you got a lot of cuts, you got a broken nose, sit tight, heal up, stay close to weight. Yeah. And we have you weigh in as an alternate, or maybe you get the phone call. Or if uh if Shevchenko wins and we're getting that immediate, you know, three match, yep. then all of a sudden everyone else can can chill out a, a little bit and maybe we you do Barbara versus Maya because she wouldn't mm -hmm. there's not going to be anyone new in that title picture until early next year anyway yeah I got a lot of interesting moving parts with like those those like the Santos Blanchard matchup and the Fioro and um Nami Yunus matchup which is coming yeah. up and then interestingly you, you never know like say with the Shevchenko or with you know what other some 125 has been talking about moving up to that now really wide open 135 pound division so I do think that that there's a pretty short um, line uh, up to the title for Macy Barber. Yeah, I agree. And you, <clears throat> you kind of reminded me of, of that. The Fior versus Nami Yunus fight. Mm -hmm. Nami Yunus, the way the UFC does things, former champs always have a shortcut. Yep. You know, they can always cut the line to another title shot, whether in their own division or or another division. If she beats Manon Fior and looks great, she might be the next one fighting for a title. Yeah, uh, yeah, hundred percent. Just greatness and charisma are, you know, two things that are in short supply in the women's divisions right now. They would not like they're not going to yes. make Nami Yunus run the gauntlet of <laughs> yeah. twenty five. If she beats Manon Fior in Paris, <laughs> and you got <laughs> Pat Barry saying, you know, who's the best? The best. Who's the best in French? <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I mean, and Fiora's ranked number two right now. And so, you know, it, seeing Nami Yunus right then and there. I mean, especially if Miami works out with, like, if Shevchenko's not, not in the title picture, then, you know, it, I, yeah, I think I think Nami Yunus might be the closest uh, woman to the title right now. Uh, <clears throat> West Coast says no trilogy. You're preaching to the choir here, dude. <laughs> uh, I am as big an opponent of immediate title rematches as you'll find. I think immediate title rematches should only ever happen if there was some side of some sort of controversy, like if there was a freakish cut, if there was a blown call, yep. then yeah, you, you run it back. But otherwise I don't care if it's the most dominant champ getting upset out of nowhere, still make him go back and beat someone else, build expectation for the rematch, give them more time to go back to the drawing board and, and fix whatever cost them the first fight. So I'm with you, man. I'd rather have no trilogy, but I'm just bowing to the reality of what we're going to get. We just follow the rules, guys. Uh, before that main event, the 
the third fight down from the top, your feature fight, the unranked heavyweight slobber knocker. It ended as painlessly <laughs> as possible for everyone involved except Justin Taffa. The replays were just gruesome. 29 seconds in, we get a collision where Lane and dude, Lane's got some mitts. He's a six foot six guy that used to play football and looks like he used to play basketball. I mean, he looks like an NBA small forward. Just collided with Taffa. His two middle fingers went straight into Taffa's eye sockets, right up to about the knuckle two and a half. <laughs> Like, really? One thumb to the mouth, and he's got Justin Toffa like a bowling ball. Uh, one of the nastier eye pokes that you're likely to see, because he got the double at the same yep. time, the classic yeah. three stooges, Just like, yunk. zoink. Uh, Toffa clearly needs to go to a new camp where he learns <laughs> the defense. And is there anything worth saying about this? You know, we got 30 seconds of that, like, heavy burst, of that quick burst energetic heavyweights where you think, like, oh, hopefully one of them gets knocked down in the first three minutes. And then, you know, that taking that into a quick, you know, wrapping it up onto the next fight. Painless. You know, I feel bad for Tafa. Um, but besides that, I, I can't complain as, as a viewer and as a, um, as a, as a, yeah. No, like, John Jones going to be showing up at <laughs> Austin Lane's doorstep just saying, show me your ways, master. Uh, <laughs> Before that, if it was John Jones, he would have gotten away with it. David Onama against Gabriel Santos in a featherweight matchup. Keith and I have both been pretty high on Onama ever since he got to the UFC. We said it was probably too soon as he stepped in on short notice up a weight class, yeah. but said that he did belong. And in the ongoing watch of what happens to Glory MMA guys in their next fight or two after the disintegration of Glory, Onama going to Factory X Muay Thai is about as perfect a fix uh, fit as you can get just in terms of having a wealth of sparring partners within his uh, general weight range to work with. I mean, mm -hmm. they probably have 20 fighters between 135 and 155 pounds that are at least at kind of like the LFA level right now. That's a lot of bodies. Uh, I like the altitude thing. Mm -hmm. Training at about 5,000 feet doesn't hurt. Onama looked good, not perfect. I mean, mm -hmm. he lost the first round. Yep. And he lost the first round, kind of having a tough time getting off against a much smaller mm -hmm. fighter in in Santos. But <laughs> oh, that that finished in the second round. I, I mean, to describe to me what you saw. Like I, I the Yeah. The the it's two lefts, right? He hits him with a left. Mm -hmm. Santos he starts going down. going down. Going down. Always impressive when a fighter can hit a moving target that's moving vertically. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, you'll see plenty of people like double up a jab and hit a guy as he's like slipping one mm -hmm. way or the other. But to hit a guy, drop him, and then just nail him again on the way down in that yeah. one second you have. Beautiful stuff. Onama just in the zone. Uh, I mean, the only thing he could have done better was come up with his own celebration afterwards. He did the... <laughs> yeah, Alex the, Pereira. The, the Israel Adesanya, like, I guess, yeah, throw, yeah, pull yeah. the arrows. Like, like, come on, man. Like, come, come up with your own touchdown dance. <laughs> you yeah. know, originality might not be a strong suit, but hitting a moving target is... It's one of those finishes that you... That Like, us in the moment, I mean, you caught it, but I didn't really... Like, he, he got that sort of... Like, that short sort of left hand kind of an uppercut yeah. then hit him twice on the way down and it was one of the things i had to i had to wait till the replay happened to see exactly what went on um yeah like like you said you know the first round was a little worrisome him not able to sort of get get over on santos on the ground um even though he had uh, a pretty good size advantage but 
still showing has a lot of power in his hands, um, being able to just plonk him uh, with with uh, that nice clean shot. Um, yeah, great fight from Onama. You know, might show up later in the uh, uh, in the show. I, I would say. John uh, Butterfield saying Onama versus Hakeem Dabadu. I mean, Ooh. I wasn't going to match make this because really in the 145 pound division, unless you've won like six fights in a row, the correct answer is just anyone else who's yeah. who won their last fight. But I like that. Yeah, that's not bad. Dawadu is a guy that certainly can match Onama in terms of just quick strike, fast twitch, uh, kickboxing yeah. ability, but is also underratedly good as an offensive wrestler. He's not still not a good defensive wrestler. And can often throw too little volume for his own good. So it would be interesting to see if Onama could get more of a firefight out of him. Be interesting to see what would happen if Dawadu tried a couple takedowns early. Yeah. Just to give a man something to think about. Yeah. Hell of a fight. Uh it'd be great, you know, because we'd have Drickus Duplessis on Twitter <laughs> saying that neither of them is really African. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, oh man. Uh, before that, on the UFC Jacksonville main card, Brandon Allen and Bruno Silva, two middleweights looking for redemption. One of them found it <laughs> as Brendan Allen, another just front and center of my whole theme of people I wrote off prematurely mm -hmm. coming into this card. And with Allen, it was very much the same thing. He had two bad losses that, in hindsight – it's not as though they were unforgivable. Sean Strickland mm -hmm. went on to do good things. Yep. Chris Curtis has caught a lot of people with his shocking power. But Alan here against Silva looked really, really good. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. obviously a first-round finish. You don't want to nitpick too much at it. But I'm almost glad that he, that he got hit cleanly by Silva a couple of times because mm -hmm. one of uh, the problems coming into this fight was well is he just gonna fold like he did against curtis the next time someone hits him hard mm -hmm. whatever else whatever other wheels may have fallen off of bruno silva's wagon which i'll get to in a minute yeah at the very least dude can still crack yeah he cracked allen allen was fine hit him back harder yep and then did what brendan allen does which is yeah. pounce on a fallen opponent and move shockingly fast on the ground to uh uh you know and here he poured on some ground strikes as well but gets to the back, is already slapping on the choke before getting his hooks in, which I'm sure took Silva by surprise. Mm -hmm. You know, because you know what's coming if a, a grappler gets on your back. And you're, normally you're thinking like, okay, first the hooks. But no, Silva, it was first the neck, and then his hands go shooting up here, and then the hooks go in. Alan just playing playing 3D chess on a man. Yeah, uh, <laughs> So great showing by Brendan Allen. Uh He's still just 25, 26 years old, mm -hmm. which at 185, he may be five full years, even from his prime. Yeah. And he may be 10 years from like really the tail end of, of his effective lifespan as a middleweight. Silva, that that stock is plummeting, man. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I hesitate to make accusations. I do. You know, it's uh, I, I take. I'm not very responsible journalism-wise most of the time. Like this, this dude's a much <laughs> much more serious journalist than I am. But I understand <laughs> that like my words can do damage because they're amplified by my platform. Having said that, to go back and find a fighter who had a more obvious decline in terms of the eyeball test physically and in terms of physical performance, just their gas tank, their explosion, 
their their strength after signing with the UFC or after the advent of USADA than Bruno Silva. I think you have to go all the way back to like Johnny Hendricks in 2013 or 2014 or whatever that was, where he went from a super, super plus athlete to being incapable of making weight and looking doughy just in the space of eight or 10 months. That's kind of what's happened to Silva. And yeah. it is alarming. And if it's not that he was on some kind of juice before and just, you know, isn't able to cycle like he used to, or you got something else going on and he just needs to, I don't know, <laughs> like check his blood sugar and check it off. And I don't, I don't know, but he is a ghost of the guy that came into the UFC and just dusted three dudes in a row. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Dusted three dudes in a row and then, and then, you know, survived a fairly competitive fight with Alex Pereira. Um, like all, all contested on the feet, which was almost like, which was almost a feat for Silva in the fact that he was able to at least like, you know, do to Alex Pereira what, I mean, survive the whole fight, which he, he did better against uh, Pereira than I would have expected. Yeah. Uh, but then to go, you know, you know, two and one in his last three with, with GM three, you know, choking him out and, and GM three, not just choking him out, but out striking him from the beginning. Yes. yes. Like, yeah. Like if uh, over like two rounds, just if like you went from being Bruno Silva to being slower than GM3 <laughs> in the first round of a fight, like, yeah, something. It definitely, it definitely points to something. And you know, he was coming off a pretty good, at least like a little bit of a of a good feat in knocking out Brad Tavares, a notoriously tough guy, which just shows that he's still like, if of, if anything, his power is still definitely there. And it was very, it was it was pretty good to see Allen survive that power and and still move through it because we always knew that you know if it got to the ground, Silva would be um, pretty uh, a fish out of water against Allen after you know seeing what he was able to do with Mooney's. But to, to be able to take those shots, return them just as hard, and then and then put them on the ground like he did, um, yeah, yeah, good for Allen. Not great for Silva. Just sort of um, two people passing each other in terms of their um, vel velocity or trajectory. momentum trajectory. Thank you. <laughs> I, I knew that was the wrong he, word he, as soon as I said it. Is a physics major. All right. <laughs> uh, before that, we had Neil Magny versus Phil Rowe, and. Heading into fight week, I was like, well, man, both these guys are like the same height and the same build and the same weight, and they're going to be really hard to tell apart, but at least Phil Rowe doesn't have the same haircut. Fuck. Yeah, yeah, exact same. Phil Rowe just trolling us all by going to get <laughs> Neil Magny's exact same braids, and it was hard to tell these dudes apart. Uh, Neil Magny. He is one of the hardest dudes. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he is. I mean, I scored the fight for Rome. I gave him the first and third rounds. Magny ended up winning the split decision. It's actually entirely possible that it was due to the uh, judges having <laughs> yeah, like, him apart. Yeah. But mostly it's that, yeah, I thought Rome won the first and third rounds, but it's not as though he put a huge stamp on either of them. Mm -mm. It's just, it's really hard to look great against Neil Magny. Yep. That's, I, that's it. Just, and bless his heart, I'm coming around on uh, Dominic Cruz. Like, I mean, <laughs> I, I'm I'm far from the only person to say this, but you know the 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 usual line on Dominic Cruz is he knows his shit really well, but he makes you enjoy MMA less by watching it just because he's like just so salty all the time. But he made a great point. He, uh, I believe it was Anik who brought up something that Rose said, because Magny, of course, now has the most fights and mm -hmm. most cage time in the history of the welterweight division. And Rose said, yeah, I feel like I know everything about Magny's game. I have all this tape to watch. And Dominic 
Cruz said. <laughs> so you watched all that tape on Magny, and you decided that the way to approach him was to like clinch against the cage with him for three rounds. Yeah, like, yeah. Obviously, you didn't learn what you should have from yeah, a tape it, study. It, exactly. Like it's hard to look great against Neil Magny. It is impossible to look great against Neil Magny if you want to spend three rounds in Magny world. If you play his game. Yeah. Like if, if you, that's what Magny wants. He, he can strike in space with uh, fighters, mm -hmm. but that's also some of the people that have really lit him up. That's where they've done it. Lorenz Larkin, uh, Vicente Luque. But I mean, if you get just, just sucked into the area between the warning track and the fence and you let him lean on you, even though you're the same height, it's still just you're wearing his weight from like mm -hmm. the overhook and collar tie or whatever. And he's just throwing little knees and stomping on your feet. And ugh, it's just miserable. It was grueling for me as the viewer. Yep. It was grueling for Roe. Uh, yeah, I, I thought Roe won the fight, but I don't, I, it going the other way, I doesn't feel like a robbery. I don't throw that word no. around lazy. I was robbed of 15 minutes of my life. Yeah. That's about all. Yeah. The only robbery that yeah. And Roe was having success when he was like out in the open cage and like, you know, you know, just using uh, his, 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 his boxing. But yeah, I just, yeah. <laughs> I, I think, I think when, when people beat Magni, it, it usually shows that, you know, they are, you know, top five talent, like anywhere from Jeff Neal and RDA up to Gilbert Burns and, and Shavkat, you know, like, yeah. and, and so, you know, while he could have definitely got, gotten the decision there, um, I don't think it, it reflects well on Roe that he wasn't able to sort of put and a... What, and what do all those people have in common? Because Magny is the ultimate example of a well-rounded fighter. Yep. You know, he's if you're making him in, you know, one of the <laughs> video games, he's a 6.5 in everything. Yeah, just down the, down the board. The people that have really rolled him over have been people who have been great at one thing and have managed to put the fight in that yep. realm. Yep. You know, like Shavkat took him down, Kiesa took him down, RDA took him down, Gilbert uh, lamped him and then yeah, put him down. Uh, Burns and and Larkin caught him in space and were just way faster than him and hit harder. Mm -hmm. uh, Roe probably could have won this fight more definitively, but didn't, and therefore doesn't really have anyone to blame but himself for losing a splitter. Uh, mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, before that. Uh, joke is on you, Wellington Terman. Uh, Wellington Terman says, I'm going to drop to 170 pounds where, you know, maybe I won't be at such a size <laughs> disadvantage against dudes I fight. And the UFC was like, well, all right, we will hook you up with Randy Brown. Don't forget to bring a ladder. Uh, McManor was like, you know what? Fuck this guy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I, I'm trying to think of what was surprising about this, but you know what? My notes on this are pretty much the same as the Roe versus Magni fight. I thought Brown was a better fighter. I mean, he's a big favorite for a reason. Mm -hmm. I think Brown's just a better fighter. He has better physical tools. Uh, he has better overall skills. But kind of like Roe against Magni, Terman didn't do himself any favors here. Uh, Brown is very good at striking from mm -hmm. distance. He's a tall fighter that, that's good at fighting an out fight. I mean, he can jab you from halfway across the cage. You pointed out he can hit you with a front kick from all the way across that the, the monster, the energy monster can. energy logo, uh, that <laughs> and the long way where it's like eight feet long. But uh, <clears throat> also in, in the clinch, he does a good job of doing that. Uh, the Tim Means clinch thing, where Brown is so tall that he really does make you wear a lot of his weight. When you're clinching with him, yeah. you know, he's three, maybe four inches taller than Terman. But when, you know, he's got an underhook and an overhook, he's bent over so far that just 
that is exhausting. Yeah, like twenty percent of his yeah. body's just and waiting on. He can knee you in the ribs, the sternum, the cup, which he did uh, pretty <laughs> easily. Oh, Keith Schillen taking time out of his uh, vacation to <laughs> yep. come and, and harass us here. It's insane, wild. Yeah, I, all I'd say is he didn't win. You know, Turbin didn't win. Mm-hmm. I didn't think he was going to win. That's just because Brown is a better fighter right now. Mm-hmm. Brown, I think, is a borderline top 15 guy who who has top 10 talent but isn't as consistent as he could be. Mm-hmm. But having said that, I liked some of what I saw out of Terman. Uh, his actual physical transformation to 170, it wasn't just him sucking out another 15 pounds of water. He had clearly kind of reworked his physique. Yeah. Like His legs like looked jacked as hell. His upper body looked a lot leaner. Uh, again, he looked good on the scale, looked good in, good in the cage, had plenty of gas. He wasn't easy to hurt. Like mm-hmm. None of the things that would normally indicate dehydration were present. And he did use uh, his low kicks, I thought, to pretty good effect against uh, Brown, which is something that's always going to be yeah, against the guy Yeah, like necessary him. in a fight like that. So, yeah, I mean, New England zone, Wellington Herman, <laughs> maybe, you know, uh, does have a future at 170. Yeah. But this was a big ask for your first. Big. Yeah. in Like in the literal and figurative senses of the word. 100%. Um, Let's see. Do we have awards? We, we, tell you what. Will you uh, yep, like gotcha. see if you can find our awards for us? Uh, before that, as Adam looks up the awards, we had a lightweight plus fight between Mateusz Rebeski and Loic Rajabov. Uh, Rajabov, of course, missed the non-title limit by like a pound and a half. So this took place at a catch weight. And Rajabov did not look good, and Rebeski looked pretty good. Mm-hmm. I I mean, I joked on the prelim with Keith that Rebeski is kind of like the I ordered Michael Chandler on Wish, and this is what I got. <laughs> and that was mostly just due to Rebeski's physique. Like in silhouette, he looks like Michael Chandler. But he did his best Michael Chandler impression here. I mean, he fights out of the opposite stance most of the time, but in yep. terms of uh, like a lot of power punching, kind of seamlessly mixing in takedown attempts and then finishing takedown attempts that a taller, less muscular guy wouldn't have been able to finish. Yeah. It really was kind of like a no, no, honey, we, we, we have Michael Chandler at home yeah, I wish uh, so. type performance. I feel weird saying this about a guy who's on now a 15 or 16 fight win streak in Rebeski, but <laughs> I still think this was more down to just Rajabov not looking great. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't know if it had something to do with the missed weight. Maybe he was sick. Maybe he had an injury that I, I don't know. I'm not making excuses for him. He can find the book of excuses for himself very <laughs> easily, but whatever it is, uh, he just, he didn't bring much no. to the cage. I, he, kind of wilted in the face of pressure. When Mervesky wanted to fight in, he was able to get in. When he wanted to fight out, he was able to keep it outside. Uh, took down the bigger uh, Rajabov with ease multiple times. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just Mervesky looked great, and we're just left wondering how much of it was due to the man that we never did see a stadium full of people in Tajikistan. You know, I think that's it, really. That's what it all comes down to. Like, We've got three in the UFC right now, and and this guy that misses weight, eh, uh, you know. less support, you know. Yeah, is. <laughs> <laughs> poor guy. Yeah, Rebeski did look good, though. Um, did you find the awards? Yes, I did. I got the awards up. Okay, so we have awards. Specifically, you looked them up on MMA Mania. I looked up the. <laughs> 
fired. Okay, <laughs> you know what, Keith? <laughs> okay, yeah, you know what? All right, so we got uh, what a fight. We got a fight of the night and two performances of the night. If it's up on MMA Mania already, then probably all of you have seen it. So rather than oh. guess, uh, throw out <laughs> what you would have uh, or whom you would have given the awards to, and uh, we'll see if we can get some kind of consensus here. Looking at it, I do not agree with the fight of the night. Yeah, I'm same here. I'm definitely good with one of the performances of the night. Same. And ah, I actually don't. I actually don't hate those at all. Yeah, I I don't like the fight of the night pick, but yeah, yeah. I'll get yours. Uh, <laughs> uh, get your uh, your awards. <laughs> in here whom you would have given the fight of the night and the uh performances of the night too and uh, we'll get some of them up on the screen or get them right out here yeah if if we only if we're only giving 50k to four people it's it's not i i yeah i i think the i don't know what uh people's fight of the nights was gonna be but um i've been interested to talk about who it should have gone to i think okay well Marcus Mustard says his performances of the night would go to David Onama and Macy Barber. Okay. Um, I would actually say the same. Your fight of the night went to your main event, Josh Emmett versus Ilya Taporia. That's the one that I'm having a hard time getting on board with. Just it wasn't very competitive. One of the judges gave it 50-42, which while I disagree with it, <laughs> is an indication of kind of how, how the fight felt as it was going on. Uh, fight of the night, Mariscal versus Peak. I like that. I like that as well. And hell, I like Ahibas versus Barber as I well. Don't like, I, either. I thought that was a, a fight with lots of, you know, kind of back and forth action, swings and momentum. Yeah. Pretty high level stuff going on. It's one where barber looked great and it's not because he must look terrible it's mm -hmm. just because she le leveled up yeah i mean jsx uh emmett versus tapori wasn't even in my top three fights of the night i i agree uh well i don't know it, it might have been i mean hell even Terman versus brown i thought was a more interesting fight than the main event mm -hmm. like, there are some five round fights that are super one-sided and are exciting nonetheless mm -hmm. like, i always think of holloway versus poirier or yeah I'm, they all involve Max Hollow, Holloway. Holloway, yes, Holloway, Holloway versus Poirier, Holloway versus Ortega, um, or hell, Holloway, uh, Rodriguez, Cater, Volkanovski versus Ortega. Yeah, like yeah. there are one-sided fights that can still be exciting just because you see the toughness on display. The losing fighter is in it round to round, even mm -hmm. if you know they're losing those rounds. This was just a fight. The most interesting thing about this. When we're talking about either of these guys a year from now, we'll be, oh man, that was the first time Tapuria really put it on like a top five guy. Mm -hmm. And we'll mm -hmm. look at it as a step on Tapuria's, you know, uh, path to wherever he is yeah. a year from now. But it's not going to make anyone's fight of the year list. It's not going to make anyone's fight of the month list. It's like it was just a beating. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, I'm always uh, a fan of giving fight of the night bonuses to people lower down on the card, um, you know, to sort of, you know, it's life-changing money. Yeah, yeah. Jo Josh Van was, was making probably 1200 and 1200 in Fury. <laughs> and I'm not laughing at that. Yeah, like, Fury yeah. pays well for what they... But I'm, I'm saying, like, Josh Van probably made, like, under 4000 bucks for his last fight. Give that man 50K. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. You know, incentivize um, your fighters on yeah. your undercard to keep it exciting. And, you know, I mean, obviously, like, main eventers deserve bonuses just as much as 
people on the undercard. But if you're putting, you know, two fighters in a main event, you're expecting the fight to be action packed, interesting. And, and you know, while um, and I, I yeah, I, I'll just reiterate that a fight like, I mean, Peak versus Mariscal or even even Jenkins Emmers was was pretty exciting. Um, same with I'm, I mean, same with Barber, uh, Hibas. I, I, I'll be OK with that. I think that, you know, a fight much that was much more competitive to to two fighters who, you know, um, you know, aren't, aren't walking out to as much praise as our two main eventers um, definitely deserve some uh, uh, some some reward for that. Uh, John Butterfield says doesn't think Maris Call versus Peak was high level or anything, but you reward those guys for going all in on a very entertaining battle. Well, of course. I mean, that, that's that's what fight of the night is. Yeah. In a lot of cases, how many fight of the night awards does you know do people like Clay Guida and Diego Sanchez have? Mm -hmm. but, yeah, it was like the fight was two cats in a sack. It wasn't. <laughs> it's it's still an entertainment. Industry. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah, and and you want you 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 want to reward fighters who keep your like the really poorly uh, made up undercards like interesting, you know, and keep keep people from just tuning in for your last three fights of the night. Absolutely. Uh. Next fight down the card, we had the Tabitha Ritchie, Tabitha Ritchie versus Jillian Robertson in a strawweight contest uh, on a night that I didn't have the best night picking fights, but I had a pretty decent night of just predicting what they would look like. This fight looked exactly like I, I thought. <laughs> I'm glad that Jillian Robertson is in the UFC. Uh, you know, like I, I enjoy watching her fight win or lose. But the problems she had at 125 were not going to be solved by moving down. Her mm -hmm. problems are her striking is super ugly and awkward, and she is a very good grappler who lacks the wrestling to get the fight to the ground yeah. when she wants, where she wants, in the position she wants. She, I called her on the preview kind of the poor woman's Mackenzie Dern. Mm -hmm. And those problems in Robertson's game are not going to be fixed by going down to 115. Uh, instead, she gets someone even faster than she's used to in Ricci. Yeah. Uh, she's not as high level, but Ricci, in terms of being smaller but being so much faster that she just was kind of effortlessly able to land on her on the feet, reminded me of Tisha Torres. Mm -hmm. Where, 100%. you know, she's just way smaller. I, like, Ricci looked a full weight class smaller than Robertson. Just Robertson's head was bigger, her shoulders yeah. were broader. Her, yeah. Uh, like even though Ricci is compact and powerful, like Robertson's legs were thicker. Uh, mm -hmm. But yeah, Ricci just blinding speed difference. Yeah, way and Robertson, her attempts to bring Ricci to the ground were not, not good. <laughs> and honestly, if Ricci had conceded the takedowns, I don't think Robertson would have liked what she had what she had bought for herself. Uh, uh -huh. Ricci's a very good ground fighter, and unlike Robertson, who mostly is kind of hanging out, waiting for a mistake, looking to isolate a leg or an arm. Ricci throws hammer fists and mm -hmm. elbows and just makes things miserable on the ground. Yeah, much uh, nastier. I thought Ricci won all three rounds. and Same. Yeah. I, I mean, Robertson is still well above 500 in the UFC. I mean, she's not going to be on my cut list tonight. Mm -hmm. uh, if there's any fighter, though, who would – it would pay dividends to to invest in, in you know, training and, and wrestling both for, like, the – you know, making their striking work together better and obviously actually allowing them to make use of their ground game, um, Robertson is, is very high up that list. She is, and she's she's not old. Mm -hmm. And there there is time to remedy those things if – she wants to. I mean, it's not like she's at a bad camp. She's at American Top mm -hmm, Team. Mm -hmm. Whatever is bad about your game, 
American top team can fix it if it can be fixed. Yeah. But yeah, having said that, trying to picture a Charles Oliveira or Fabrizio <laughs> Verdum type reinvention out of her, I don't see it in the cards right now. Yeah. Just, it's, yeah, she's a limited fighter. That's yeah. the best way to put it. Yeah. She's not a bad fighter. She's just a limited fighter. Uh, and Ricci was a bad matchup for those uh, for those limitations. And Ricci's yeah. on a pretty good win streak herself. But I I don't know about you. I don't. I didn't see anything that makes me go, okay. We need to see her <laughs> against like like you know Weili Zhang. Yeah, or, Amanda Lemos or up yeah. in the, the top five. Yeah, you know, just sort of it was. It was just all right, and and yeah, like I like like you were saying, you know, I mean, it's it's pretty obvious watching you know Jillian Robertson fights that oh, you know, you just need to be better at wrestling, and and um, you know, if you know that's that's such an obvious observation, and it's not improving over time, then it is um just sort of shows like you know just a sort of a limitation, but um yeah, not bad. There's there's no more putting it off any further as the unluckiest man uh-huh. in MMA, Jalgas Zumagulov. <laughs> One in five in the UFC enters the cage as a favorite against Josh Van. Uh, I picked Jumagulov in this one. And that was your mistake. It was my mistake. And (laughs) I don't know if it was just me continuing to overestimate Jalga Jumagulov and give him too much slack and give him too much credit, or it was just me overcompensating trying not to make homer picks because josh van is of course a four ounce fight club guy he's a houston guy all of his fights before tonight have been in fury fighting championship mm-hmm. kind of my well uh, okay. yeah you know my my hometown promotion I, I mean i've seen at least half of them in person mm-hmm. and i just thought he's a really good prospect that this might be a year too soon but josh van morrison <laughs> uh yeah uh i mean put on a put on a great performance you know just was was just faster to the punch on a lot you know showed great power showed good cardio for coming in on you know nine days notice or, or however it was and um i mean just jumagalov is just such an interesting fighter at in that division it's, it's um you know in 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 a division with so many with with ton of a a, a base level where everyone is is well rounded because it's flyweight, um, you know, having somebody who's who's you know more dynamic, who you know has more power, like like Van or um, other people who've had success, you know, it definitely favors that. Um, I, I thought Jumagulov would win coming into this, just you know, not knowing who Van was, knowing that Jumagulov has been. He could either be one and six now, or he could be four and three, you know, like you know, on like the flip of a dime. Um, but no, Van showed good things both for you know his position in the in the division as well as you know um yeah coming out on short notice just very impressive and i've i have figured out because what i've said before is jamagalov is at least good at everything and has just been matched really hard and had some unlucky uh split decisions mm-hmm. i mean he's had three split decision losses in a row that's gotta be that's, a record we'll have yeah petri <laughs> working on that one for us uh he's Stat at least week. tied for the all-time record um, you know, split decision losses in the UFC, but no, he's not great at everything. He's slow for 125. Mm-hmm. Uh, Van is fast, but he made Jumagalov look like he was fighting in mud. Mm-hmm. Uh, Van was bouncing in, landing like a jab and a right cross, bouncing back out, and Jumagalov was like swinging through yeah. air behind him. Yeah, just made the guy look clumsy. It doesn't help that Jumagalov's hair just bounces like crazy anytime he gets hit. Yeah. 
<laughs> some fighters make it work to their advantage. Like it always made Clay Guida look like <laughs> the, the shit he was doing was cooler than it was. Yeah. With Jumagalov, like <laughs> it looks like a wig. It looks like he's wearing it to try to fool like the Scooby Doo gang. You know, it's like <laughs> like Van's just gonna rip that shit off. And it's like, well, it would have worked too if not for you meddling kids. I, <sighs> much as I hate to say this, and we're gonna get to the cut yeah. soon, but yeah, uh, JSX, Jaddy, Jaddy the Batty. Uh, all I want to do is zoom, <laughs> zoom, 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 zoom. You know, uh, he got wrecked in effect tonight. Uh, I would make a bunch of uh, Van Morrison references for Marcus Mustard, but I already get accused of being too much of a dad on this show. <laughs> so let's instead move on to uh, Trevor Peak. I, I will move out of my uh, Gen X references <laughs> and I'll move into like a, a millennial reference. I've said it a few times. Trevor Peak is what it would sound like if there was a can of skull on Aqua Teen Hunger Force. He's like a recurring character. Um, taking on short notice, Jose Mariscal. And uh, Mariscal beats Peak mm -hmm. three rounds to none. Looks fantastic doing it. I mean, here's a guy. Yeah. Jose Mariscal is a pretty high-level regional featherweight. Steps in on short notice, up a weight class, and regardless, even if Peak had won, even if Peak had just hit him with a haymaker late and knocked mm -hmm. him out, all the shine off Peak as a formerly undefeated prospect is off because his takedown defense was so porous. Mm -hmm. Mariscal was hitting like uh, lateral drops, you know, like wizard kick type stuff, just throwing them around really with, with hip throws and trips effortlessly. The problem was how anytime Mariscal didn't like the taste of what he was getting on the feet, he could just get an overhook and instantly dump peak on the ground and, in, and land inside control. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah. Mar For being a, a significantly smaller fighter than yeah. peak. Uh, peak throwing punches like they're Hadoukens. Shout out to Nick <laughs> Diaz the, who referred to, uh, Takanori Gomi is hitting him with some little Hadouken punch. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, peak. I said this about Josh Emmett, but you know what? Compared to how Trevor Peak was overthrowing his punches, mm -hmm. like Emmett might as well have been, you know, prime Purnell Whitaker right. or something. Just, right. Uh, Peak was throwing to the Peak right hand and then just swinging, swinging the fist back, yeah. like to try to to, to land anything yeah. on yeah. Um, Mariscal at the end of that fight. Um, yeah, absolutely yeah. wild. Yeah, he wasn't rechambering his punches so much as like reeling them back in. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Just hoping that anything would connect. So. I, I don't know what happens with Jose Mariscal from here. I'll be honest. Even having seen a lot of his fights on the regional scene, he's not a guy that was like on my whiteboard, like, oh, mm -hmm. this dude that's 13 and six <laughs> in LFA, he's watch out for him on the contender series next fall. No, it's like, oh, he's just another dude. And you know what? It's more of a thing of if someone comes to the UFC and I see they beat Jose Mariscal, I'm like, okay, yeah. uh, you know, th this guy might actually have some skills. But he showed up, handed Trevor Peak his first loss. Yep. Uh, and looked great doing it. I, I don't Yeah. Any saved, other thoughts about this one? Saved the fight, put on a good one, you know, but yeah, at least wrote, wrote his name a little bit into the, into the, this, this year's sort of history book, but yeah, all in all good, good performance from Mariscal. Uh, for that Jamal Emers versus Jack Jenkins, mm -hmm. uh, the Australian mullet versus <laughs> yeah. Uh, Emmers takes a uh, split decision. Well, no, <laughs> Emmers should have won the decision. Oh, yes. Jenkins yes. takes the split decision. 
if you're in the chat right now, tell us how you scored Emmers versus Jenkins. Uh, yeah, Bob, Bob, <laughs> Bob. Simpson is, is up in here. And I, I, you guys know me, and Bob Timpson, you specifically know me because, you know, you've you called some fights, robberies before that Keith and I weren't <laughs> ready to, to slap that stamp on. But here, I gave all three rounds to Emmers, mm -hmm. and at least one judge gave all three rounds to Jenkins. And I don't, I don't get it, man. Yeah. Like, we had rounds where Emmers outstruck Jenkins badly. We had rounds where Jenkins uh, or Emmers took Jenkins down and controlled him and moved to dominant positions for like much of the round and was, you know, again, doing damage and, and threatening uh, to frame up submissions. Mm -hmm. I, it's hard for me to, to justify scoring two of those yeah. rounds for Jack Jenkins. That's <laughs> the best I, I can say. Yeah. Uh, John Butterfield, uh, easy 29, 28 Emmers. Yeah. Like if that's it, you know, like yeah. if, if you want to give Jenkins the, the first round, I am on board with that, but it's really an interesting, you know, sort of reflection on, on just like the kind of how these judges are scoring in their minds where, yeah, we had rounds where Emmers clearly outstruck, um, and damaged Jenkins more, which definitely should go to him. And then some rounds where, um, I think one or both, one or two of the rounds were, you know, pretty close, at least in the stand up before Emmers took over pretty significantly on the ground in the latter half of the round. And, you know, if, if you think that Jenkins might have done a little bit more damage before it hit the mat and then you, you sort of ride that over. I mean, that's just a reflection on, on, on you know, how these rounds are scored and how they, they, they should be scored. But, yeah, I, I think Emmers a 30, 27. I, I scored a 29, 28, but I think I, I a 30, 27 make more sense than anything else. Yeah, of my second now, option. Same here. And the unfortunate thing, the thing that extra sucks about this for Emmers is Emmers is, of course, a pinnacle MMA guy. He's a primary sparring partner of Bobby Green. So mm. if you don't know better and you think Emmers is like Green, you're like, oh, he lost the split decision to Jack Jenkins. I bet he was just goofing <laughs> off and like throwing six strikes around and like bobbing and weaving. It's like, no, he did everything right. He was yeah. supposed to win uh, and just got hosed by the judges. Uh, it is a tale as old as time. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's just some bullshit, man. Uh, unfortunate. So to those in the chat screaming robbery, whether you lost money on this or or just you are interested in defending the you know the cause mm -hmm. of righteousness and proper judging, <laughs> I'm on board with you. This was bad. Yeah. Speaking of bad, speaking of Cedric was Dumas is crimes. a bad person. Um, <laughs> the, there's no robbery in the card opener between Cody Brundage and Cedric Dumas, and few other but even better there was no domestic violence or pistol <laughs> whipping of uh you know uh, bystanders in, in restaurants um Brundage steps in on short notice here this was supposed to be Dumas versus Puna Soriano and even leaving aside that it was a late noticing I thought Brundage might be a tougher test for Dumas mm -hmm. than Soriano because Soriano is as much of a throwback, just scrap Hawaiian fighter as there is in the UFC right now, where whereas Brundage, he comes out standing like a karate fighter, but you know he is a good wrestler and mm -hmm. is willing to wrestle. And I thought he could test what is obviously the most untested part of Dumas's game. But you know what? L leaving aside that I don't think Dumas should be in the violence business until mm -hmm. he gets his legal shit sorted out, he looked good in the cage. Yeah, uh, Brundage. Took him down, and he got right back up. On the time in the time that they were on the feet, Dumas was definitely faster, sharper, 
Brundage was confused and frustrated. Only thing I'll throw out here is, and it's definitely going to make an appearance later in this show, Brundage's first takedown attempt, it's kind of in the balance, and then Brundage just decides to slap <laughs> on a guillotine and, and fall to his back. Like, Yeah. <laughs> it is the women's MMA headlock throw of men's MMA. Jumping on the guillotine? Just jumping on the guillotine. It doesn't work on 2020s level UFC fighters. Apparently, even even Cedric was doomed apparently. And if it doesn't yeah. work, you've probably just thrown away that round if not the fight. And sure enough, you know, Brundage lost that round and uh on my scorecard I think he lost both of the others as well. Just mm-hmm. a, a poor showing by him and Dumas showing that he at least has enough that he belongs fighting kind of that bottom tier in one of the UFC's thinner divisions right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's it. That is all, was it 13 fights that ended up making it through the gate? We lost Tatsuro Tyro, of course. But yeah, I think the, we, the fight I was looking forward to the most besides the main event. Oh, almost. yeah. Like Tatsuro Tyro was the reason you check in for this, but it was not to be. That's all 13 fights. Let's get to some of the fun stuff. Uh, do you, Adam, have anybody on your cut list? I have a few people on my cut list in sort of, uh, I guess I'll say ascending order in terms of how seriously I have them on my cut list. Um, I'll start from the one I, the one I'm actually, I'll say, I'll start from, I said ascending, but I'll start from the one I think is, is, is most okay to cut. Um, you know, I think that his wives miss him and I think that he needs to go reevaluate, um, uh, some things about his game. And so I think that that our boy ZZ Top might need to go back um, to the drawing board outside of the UFC. Um, I, I'm, I'm, I'm giving the UFC free reign to, to cut Zhaglas Jumagalov. Have you, did you ever see the movie The Dark Crystal? Yes, I have, yeah. I wonder if the problem is that he has two wives and they're just <laughs> draining all of his essence out of him. I mean, he even looks like one of those podlings. Like, maybe he's just at home and his eyes are just like blank, white. He's like, maybe he just gets rid of one of the wives and, you know, his, his T levels go back to normal. It's entirely his, possible. Yeah, yeah. He, he comes back up like a foot taller and like he's a welterweight now. But yeah, but mythical like, fighter Telegus is divorced. You might love. Who has twice as many wives as UFC wins uh, probably Damn. needs to, to, to go back. Damn. Got anyone else? Um, yeah. So um, let's see. I got. Um, so just like, just off of like performance and, and sort of, uh, momentum and stuff like that, you know, I, I put Termin on there. Um, but like I had said, you know, while I think Termin has had a, a rough spot of it, I think, you know, he's made a change going down to 170. He seemed to look good, at least in the, mo- in, in the movement down to 170. And then, you know, perhaps that, and then beyond that, um, you know, getting a tough test, like, uh, Randy Brown, uh, out the gate. I think, I think while he's not looking good, I do think that the UFC should, you know, give him perhaps one more chance to, 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 to see if he's UFC material. Um, and then even further, I, uh, same thing with Cody Brundage. I mean, I think Cody is maybe is three and one in his last four. He's on a three fight loss streak. Um, two of those have been finishes. One of those has been losing to Cedric Dumas. And it's, it's an interesting thing for me because, um, you know, I don't know what you think about him being on, on the cut list, but Marsh, I'll ask that first. Do you, do you, would you put Brunage on your cut list as well? Yeah, Brunage would be on my cut list. Losing to Mihal Olashechuk has aged pretty well. Mm-hmm. Losing to Hadolfo Vieira is not a problem. Losing to Cedric was Dumas. The, the only thing that I would give him a pass for is that he did step up on short notice. Mm-hmm. The UFC usually won't cut a fighter who did them a solid that yeah. way. Yeah. Um, so I would be fine with the UFC giving him one more try, but 
he is on the thinnest of ice. <sighs> yeah, for this, sure. This should have been a winnable fight, and he was never really competitive. Yeah, yeah. no. Uh, yeah, I totally agree. The big, the only thing that I would say that holds him on is just that the idea of not wanting to, you know, cut someone who, who sort of fixed your card a little bit, and you know, not wanting to disincentivize fighters to step up on short notice for fear of being, um, you know sort of judge the same way they would if they had a full camp going into a fight but exactly like yeah. even if the ufc doesn't feel they owe anything to that fighter in particular uh -huh. the last thing they want is nobody willing to step up yeah. next time yes they need a short yeah. notice replacement completely agree so really just just maybe just zz is is on my list for for people who um are, are kind of a definite cut um a, a few people didn't look great but nobody is um um everybody you know sort of skidded by on the test jsex Cutting Austin Lane off of a no contest in 30 <laughs> seconds. I absolutely love it. Uh, yeah, the, the less unranked heavyweights we have, the fewer unranked heavy, heavyweight slobber knockers we can have. Right. You know, won't, somebody, <laughs> won't anybody think of the slobber? Uh, <laughs> oh, man. Let's get to more fun stuff. Yeah. Bulls and the Bears. Yeah. You want to go positive or negative first? Uh, I'm feeling negative. Let's start with that. I, I, I can tell you're, you're feeling negative. <laughs> All right. Uh, you want to go first? You want me to go first? Uh, you got it. Okay. Uh, negatives. Bull or bears. Amanda Hebas. Amanda Hebas mm -hmm. coming into this fight uh, had been very, very competitive at 115 as well as 125 pounds and had been extremely hard to hurt and or mm -hmm. finish like uh, except with a few exceptions like marina rodriguez for example even the women who had beaten them on the hebas it had been decisions that maybe Hebas should have won it had been really competitive fights but here mm -hmm. barbara just had an answer for everything was hurting Hebas badly and it was so out of the ordinary compared to what i'm used to from Hebas that i didn't believe she was really in trouble until the thing was almost over yep I yeah. was like, yeah, she's she's bloodied, but you know, she's gonna get up smiling and you know, <laughs> win a split decision and go back to her like, adorable animal shelter. <clears throat> but no, uh, it, a combination of Barbara looking great and Hebas just running into a buzzsaw. Bad night at the office for Amanda Hebas, and she's in a division where that shot to a title shot may not be so easy for much longer. Mm -hmm. And so I think this was a bad loss at a bad time for Amanda Hebas. I think mm -hmm. we're going to look mm -hmm. maybe a year from now, uh, you know, another fight or two for each of these women as a fork in the road where Barber made a positive mm -hmm. career move. And for Hebas, this was will be a tough one to bounce back from. Yeah, for sure. Uh, next one, Wellington Terman. I like the idea behind it. I'm not normally in favor of dropping in weight as a cure-all for any fighter's problems. Mm -hmm. But if you're kind of undersized and you're young, you know, you're not like a 34-year-old trying to squeeze one last tiny bit of juice out of his <laughs> career, I'm in favor of it. And Terman just, it didn't work tonight. Yeah. Part of it's the matchup. Brown is a better fighter. Brown is much bigger. And part of it is just that Terman didn't fight to his own best advantage. Mm -hmm. Bad night at the office. Uh, worst night of, uh, of anybody, jokes about everyone else aside, I'm going to say Lloyd Grajibov to mm -hmm, mm -hmm. blow weight, look like, like look terrible and get finished. Uh, that's a bad night at the office ending up on someone else's highlight reel. Yeah. Uh, so though, you know, those, those are my bears. What do you got? Um, yeah. You know, trying to, I guess, you know, analyze people who, who uh, aren't on your list. You know, I think that I, I had tournament on mine as well. 
and uh, for all the same reasons you, you put out. I also, I mean, a lot of people had just like very slight declines in their in their stocks. Um, you know, I put Bruno Silva on my bears list. Um, you know, he had he he had maybe it, it was it was still up in the air after he knocked out Brad Tavares. Like, okay, well, you know, he he didn't look good against Gerald Mearshart, but he did survive against Pereira, which um, you know is one thing. And then he had a great streak before, like entering into the UFC. But um, after you know, landing his best shots on Brendan Allen, a guy, you know, close in the rankings to him and, and not being able to deliver. Um, I think that's, that, that's a pretty big bear. And I, I, I think, you know, while he might still be exciting um, fighting, you know, un, unranked middleweights, uh, I don't think that um, he has a, a very good future in the UFC, um, especially in the, in the top 15. Um, but besides that, I think Philip Rowe, um, you know, coming off of three knockout wins, uh, you know, using his, his height and reach uh, to his advantage, advantage, um, and, you know, uh, you know, sleeping a bunch of people, um, you know, while I think, you know, he definitely could have won the decision against Neil Magny. I think the fact that he, you know, especially after espousing how much study he did still playing into Magny's game did, um, um, sort of show that, you know, he's, um, maybe not top 10 talent in the UFC, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll have to, we'll have to see about him, but those are my biggest ones. Um, maybe Josh Emmett to a certain degree, you know, showed a lot of heart out there, but, um, you know, his uh, uh, looking at this now, it seems like that yeah, your Rodriguez fight was sort of his chance to be um, to 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 really stamp his name, and it looks like it's only uh, downhill from here for him. Sounds good to me. Uh, Bulls, people whose stock is up after uh, tonight's fights. Um, you know, starting off uh, with my lowest of my bear of my bowl, sorry, is um, two of our three short notice replacements in, in sort of Mariscal and Vaughn. Um, I think they both showed um, really good performances uh, coming in on short notice. You know, Brundage, unfortunately, couldn't join them in that streak. It kind of ruins my my little thing I got going on here. But um, they both did well, uh, although I'd say my best bowls were um, our our, our two, you know, headliner, our headliners of Macy Barber and, and Tapuria, or our co-headliners. Um, they, um, you know, both had great performances against um, the best competition up until that point, um, and just show that they are in both of their respective divisions. Sort of, um, you know, what's up next? Uh, I agree with all of yours. So rather than repeat any of them, I'll just add one more to the pile. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> Brendan Allen, just yeah, he was a favorite, but continuing kind of. Again, he didn't need a redemption story, but just kind of restoring faith that, hey, he still might be a mm -hmm. future contender at 185 or even 205, whatever <laughs> it ends up being. I mean, part of his whole thing is he's kind of a big dude. So he's someone that you we could see filling out and maybe mm -hmm. being at, at uh, light heavyweight. But yeah, uh, other than that, I agree with all of yours. <clears throat> Any dude seriously? And, you know, I put him, I sort of, I sort of put him, um, very, very sort of ad hoc on my Bears list because um, I wanted to add someone else. But, um, you know, we mentioned it. Dominic Cruz mentioned it. But my, my, my dude seriously is going to go to Philip Rowe. You know, says you analyze all of Neil Magny's extensive career in the UFC. You know that he loves to put you in the clinch and loves to just beat you up from there. Um, you know, you saw just the fight before how the attributes of a 6'3 welterweight can be very advantageous. Obviously, Neil Magny is not the same as well and determined. But... You know the, the blueprint was there, and it was there right before your you came out um, uh, to your walkout song. And so, um, dude, seriously, you know Philip Rowe, uh, you know, don't play Magny's game, or else you'll likely to lose a decision. Completely agree with that one. Uh, I'll throw on one that I already mentioned, Cody Brundage. <laughs> like in the first two minutes of the fight, just going for the low percentage guillotine, uh, <laughs> and 
on the one hand, yeah, Dumas is one of the people in that division it would probably be most likely to work on. Mm -hmm. He's a tall guy with a long, skinny neck that's very unproven on the ground, but it didn't work. You lost that round, and then you lost the rest of the rounds. Yikes. Um, I will add, I'm pretty sure it was Dan Mergliata, the ref in the Justin Taffa-Austin Lane fight. So we had that absolutely gruesome, like, bowling ball grip, uh, three stooges eye gouge. Uh, Taffa was clearly done. The replay (laughs) shows... Austin Lane's fingers like reaching back into Tafa's childhood memories and like smearing the icing on, on his sixth birthday cake, like across his medulla oblongata. And so when we're giving the man like four minutes to recover from like from second fight, and I just I remember Tafa standing there and just blood running down from his eyes down his yeah, face. A little exorcist Looking victim. Like, yeah, the exorcist or like one of the dudes that opened the wrong grail at the end of. Uh, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark. Like, well, that was Emmett, actually. The whole face melting off kind of thing. But yeah, uh, was... I, like he looked like he had just seen like an Eldritch God. I mean, like his, <laughs> it, it looks like I don't know. And, and yeah, like we said, the timeout was like six times longer than the actual fight was. And um, <laughs> yeah, Eric Nixick, who, as far as I'm concerned, should, should be in the running for Coach of the Year every mm. year. Uh, he's, yeah, get tattooed to the hospital. Uh, I was watching his eyes start to swell out, and he's like, he's going to lose his retina if you do not get him out of that cage right yeah, now. Uh, I was like, the last thing he needs is to have Austin Lane go around, like, kicking him in the ass. Like, yeah. yeah, like, the last thing that man ever <laughs> saw was, like, <laughs> Austin Lane's, like, third number. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Oh, my God. Oh, um, Letter grade for the whole card. Again, keeping in mind that we're judging this by the standards of a free TV card. Yep. Um, you know, similar to my grades in school and my classes in school, they start off relatively strong, sort of plummet towards the middle, and then at the very end, I'm able to pick it up. Um, I think this car was very much the same. I think, you know, sitting down at 10.30 in the morning to start some fights, um, you know, watching, you know, Jamal Emmers, Jenkins, Peak, Marisco, I was like, okay, these, these are some good fights. Um, you know, I'm, I'm, it definitely helped get, get, get it out the gate um, well. And then we had a dry spell between Tabitha Ritchie and I'd say maybe like the main card really um but after all is said and done i'm giving it a c plus c maybe. plus okay uh kudos to jsx for the excellent event horizon reference i'm always here for those one of these times <laughs> i'll tell you guys the story of why i've been more scared at that movie than any other movie i've seen in my life <laughs> uh scott McCrate. One of our true OGs gives it a C plus as well. Rest of the crew a little more forgiving. John Butterfield is like the stem was still shining over <laughs> England. Uh, so yeah, he's just he's just happy that it was at a at De- a good time. De- Deb's like, you know, it was right around wake and bake time on the west coast of the US. <laughs> uh Keith, but not Keith Schillen, gives it a B minus. Yeah, B minus is I'm I'm good with B minus. Live crowd and early start, solid B. Uh I'm closer to you. I'm thinking C plus B minus just because. One of the best fights dropped off before it even made it to the cage. Damn. Uh, the heavyweight slobber knocker slopped very literal slobber and lots of like eye guts. Eye, eye blood. And I mean, while the main and co main events were both very decisive, at least we didn't get any weird controversy yeah. or fouls. Yeah. They were just, they, they were what they were. Yeah. Just another card. Um, welcome to the UFC, Josh Fan. Big ups to Houston yeah. always. Yep. Our listener of the night. Oh. 
I mean, this is the thing that you would be in the running for if you ever didn't tap out like ten minutes into the show. I get extreme, like, like I mean, uh, I feel bad for the our, our any like you know European listener, but when those fights end up at you know one thirty in the morning, I, 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 I do. If Keith Jillen were here, he would say it's it's their fault for living in the third world. <laughs> oh, dude, I love that Keith came in just for half a second, just to berate us for a second, and then yeah. he left. But um, I'm gonna have to give listener of the night. While you're thinking of it, yeah, uh, Marcus Mustard actually in here early, often dropping yep. bombs left yep. and right. Uh, you know, Dev doing work. Bob Chimpson, you know what, Bob? I don't always agree with you when you're in here, though I always value your, your opinions and love to see you here. But you called robbery. I'm here. Uh, I, I'm with you. Yep. You are my listener of the night. JSX, you're getting the second listener of the night. Loved your your comments. Very funny. Awesome. Listen to that. De- Dev was hyping me up in the comments. So yeah, I'll take it. Adam is the talker of the night. Don't don't ah. him. don't give him more words than he needs. <laughs> uh, that's it. The uh, Sherdog Radio Network wow. live recap of UFC on ABC Five: Emmett versus Tapuria, UFC Jacksonville. I've been your host Ben Duffy. He's been your substitute co-host Adam Duffy. Uh, thank you for listening. The preview for ufc on espn 48 or whatever the hell the next one is called <laughs> uh should be up first thing monday morning uh keith will still be on vacation so mr lev pasarski will be joining me for that one. Oh yes uh usc on espn 48 strickland versus magomedov i think that's ufc vegas 76 or something mm-hmm. but yeah uh you'll be here for that one because there's there's a bunch of weird shit on that one yep between now and then thank you guys very much for checking it out have a good rest of your evening if it's light out where you are Go and enjoy it. Yeah. Have a good night.